do. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to continue looking at something we began looking at last week. And I'll just remind you some of the things that we've gotten from the Lord already about this year. Sarah made mention of it earlier, but these are our glory days. The days we're in right now, we declare it by faith, these are the glory days. And like I mentioned to you before, we are going to stop referring to our past as the glory days. We're going to stop referring to times when we were younger or maybe we felt like we looked better or, or, or we were stronger back then. Oh, those were the glory days. We're done with that, church. And we are declaring that the days we're in right now, not those were, these are the glory days. Can you say it out loud? These are the glory days. And we're going to see the glory of God on display in this church all year long. We're going to see his glory on display through healings, through deliverances. We're going to see his glory on, dis on display through provision and protection, through wisdom and direction. Glory to God. He's also told us that in this year, the faithful are going to flourish. The faithful are going to be fruitful. And the faithful, by the time you come to this end of this year, the faithful are going to be so thankful. That tells me that there's going to be opportunities for every one of us this year to be unfaithful, to unhook, to disconnect. But if we will choose to be faithful in the face of the temptation to stop, and the greatest temptation you or I or anybody ever faces, it's not so much the temptation to sin as it is the temptation to stop trusting God. And everybody faces that. Because there are times it looks like it's not working. There are times it looks like your faith's not producing what you thought it would, what you thought it should. But in the face of that, if you will choose to, instead of stop trusting God, just continue to trust God, you, when you come to the end of this year, are going to be so glad you did. You are going to be thankful that you were faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to His Word, faithful to your family, faithful to your church. Amen? so thankful. The faithful will flourish. But the last thing the Lord spoke to us about this year, and this is what we're spending our time focusing on right now, I believe he simply said to us, it's grow time. It's grow time. I believe this church is primed and ready for growth in many areas, not just one or two, but in all areas. And the foundation for our faith in that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in the 12th verse, look at this with me. And if you weren't with us last week, we'll get you caught up. These are some of the verses we looked at. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, are you there? It says, for as the body is one and has many members. Listen, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. So also is Christ. This verse out of the New Living Translation reads like this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us that the Spirit of God writing through Paul does hear what you see really throughout the scriptures, even in Jesus' ministry. 
and Jesus wasn't as famous for this, he would use natural things to explain the supernatural in the attempt to make the unseen make more sense, he would point to things that you can see. How many times did Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like this? The kingdom of God is like that. And he talked to him about something natural. He talked to him about somebody sowing a seed or he talked to him about somebody in their business and, and turning finances over to their help. And everything he's doing there is using the natural world to paint a picture of the supernatural using what goes on in the seen to explain to us what goes on in the unseen. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God is doing here through Paul. And it is major revelation. We sort of take it for granted because we've got the luxury of 2,000 years of understanding that, you know, as a group of Christians, people who are saved, people who are born again, they are now part of what's called the body of Christ. But that wasn't always understood. As a matter of fact, it came as revelation to this man that we're not just a group. We're not just a, a group of people over here that are separated from this group of people over there. We're a body. And to explain the unseen, what did he do? Pointed to what you can see. He pointed to the human body. And he said, the very same way that this body is just one body, yet it's made up of many parts. What did he say? So is the body of Christ. Just like your human body has a bunch of different parts, the body of Christ has a bunch of different members, a bunch of different parts. And what is hitting me with such force since the beginning of this year, and even going back a few weeks before we got to the end of the year, the Lord had me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he said, read it every day, every day. Back in November, Sarah and I went away together, just the two of us, just get some rest, spend some time praying. And every day while we were gone, the Lord said, read it, read 1 Corinthians 12. I'd read it and he'd say, read it again, read it again, read it again. And what came out of that was this new sense of awe and honor and this realization, and I'm going to say it to you, and it's going to sound like not a big deal to you, but it is becoming such a big deal to me. I am a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of his body. I don't think we're living with enough awe and wonder that we are actually a part, not just a group, certainly not a cult, certainly not just a, a, a faction or fraction of people. This is what makes us so different than the rest of this world. And it's what makes us different than every other religion. We're a part of a body. We're a part of a body. I am a part of the body of Christ. Now in this body, there are no throwaway parts. You know what I mean by that? We're a body and there are no throwaway parts in this body. I'll make a statement to you and it may take some explaining. You are not a bookshelf from Ikea. You're saying, okay, explain. 
Anybody ever put one together? You ever, you ever bought the Schneergensmargen from Ikea and, and you dig into it and you, you got 150 parts and you dig all the way through and you start putting this thing together and you get to the end of it and there's a pile of stuff you didn't use? That could either be good or bad. You have no, did I leave something out? Huh? You're not an Ikea bookshelf with a bunch of throwaway parts. Anybody in here ever, you know, try to work on your own car engine or change your own oil or something and you get under that hood and you start taking stuff apart and you got this piece here and that piece there and next thing you know, you got a, a, a mound full of parts and now it comes time to put things together and you look at it and you're like, do I really need that? And you sort of just throw that away and you come across something, well, that doesn't look important, so you get rid of that. You can't do that with your body. Your body... This one, this physical body that you are in right now has no throwaway parts. You can't, you can't take stuff out of here and just forget about it. Now, there may be stuff inside you. Actually, I guarantee there is. Parts you've never seen. And let's be honest, you don't want to. There are some parts in you that need to remain unseen. There are some parts in you, not only that you've never seen, you've got no idea they're there. You've got no idea what they do. And yet, wait for it to stop working. And you'll find out, man, I need that. There are no throwaway parts. In the body of Christ, there are no throwaway parts. I'm a part of that body. You are a part of that body and you are a critical part of that body. This is what's hitting me with such reverence and awe these days. I am a part of the body and he needs me. He needs me. I'm not a junk part. I'm not a throwaway part. Somebody said, I'm not a throwaway part. You're a part of the body. But let me tell you what else is hitting me that I'm just as excited about. Not only am I a part of the body, you ready for this? I'm a part of this body. I am honored, church, to be a part of this body, this legacy church, local church family. I know we're not the body of Christ, but we are a body, and we're a body within His body, and it's an honor to be a part of the body, but it's an honor and it's a privilege. I count it a privilege to be a part of this body. And these verses we're reading and we're about to read in 1 Corinthians 12, yes, they are about the body, but whatever applies to the body, guess what else it applies to? This body, this body. So let's read these verses because he's talking to us, he's talking about us. Verse 12, one more time. As the body is one and has many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Do you hear how many times he has said that over and over? Many members, many members. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not, of the, I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Verse 18, now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. There is a reason you are put together the way you are. There is a reason your arms are where they are. Your legs are where they are. Your hands and feet are where they are. Your eyes and ears and nose. There's a reason all of that is put where it is. And it's not because of evolution. It's not because of the demands of the evolutionary science that formed us. Stop it. Why are we put together the way we are? God put the members in the body where it pleased him. It pleases God for my hand to be right here. It pleases God that my feet are there and not coming out of the side of my head. There's a reason. God has set the members in the body where it pleased him, as it pleased him. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But verse 20, look at it. Now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Read it with me. Now indeed, there are Say it out loud, church. There are what? Many members. Yeah. One body. Many members, one body. That's the word of the Lord. I know it's in his word. I know it's written and recorded for all men, for all time, for the body of Christ all over the world. But what's good for the body is good for this body. And in Jesus' name, I'm declaring it over 2023 that Legacy Church is many members yet one body. Now, if you were with us last week, we took a step of faith into this and we released faith together that the Lord would add to us in this year, the people from this community, the people from across the nation, even people from around the world that are supposed to be a part of this local church family, a part of this body, that he would bring them to us in a supernatural way. As I'm looking across this room, I'm looking at faces, I'm looking at families, and I know some of your stories. And I know that the Lord did supernatural things, opened doors that you couldn't have opened, led you and guided you into this place. And you weren't living down the street. You were way far away somewhere else. And the Lord said, get there. And you said, how? And he said, watch. And he made a way for you. Could we get in faith that he would do the same thing for other people that are supposed to be part of this family? So let's do this again right now. If you've got an empty seat next to you, this is what I want you to do. Reach over and put a hand on it. You got an empty seat next to you or in front of you, somewhere around you. Put your hand on it. And we are going to declare this again together. Thank you, Lord, that he is adding people to this. Say this out loud. Speak to that chair. Say chair. chair. We call you filled. Speak to the sanctuary. Say sanctuary. sanctuary. We call you full call you and overflowing, overflowing with many members. With many members. Heavenly, Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer, we hearing bringing, our prayer. To bringing to us people from our communities, from, our communities. from across the country, from around the world. Send us those whose hearts are hurting. Those who are hungry. Send us the lost. 
the ones that are looking for a place to call home. We open up our hearts. We open up our hands and we open up our home to many members, many members, many members, and we receive them now in Jesus name. Amen. Now we're going to continue to do that as the Lord leads us, but check this out. Watch it. Your faith will become sight. If today's your first day with us, we've been praying over you. We've been asking the Lord for you. Your seat was an empty seat last week. You are the sight to our faith. Thank you, Lord. So yes, we are believing God in this year and the years to come that we're going to be many members, but not just many members. What else? One body. Now this thought occurred to me over the last week. Satan, our enemy, could not care less how many people come to this church. A mega church does not scare him. He doesn't care if there's 250 or 250,000. He does not care as long as they're just a bunch of members. He doesn't care as long as they're just a bunch of body parts. What's there to be afraid of if it's just a room full of parts? He doesn't care. What scares him is when those parts connect. What absolutely frightens him is when those parts join together and begin thinking and acting like a body. This is where we're headed. Yes, I believe the Lord's adding people to us. We've prayed, we've released faith, we're thanking him for it. But even more than that, even more than you and I being a bunch of members, even, even more than us being a room full of body parts, what should we be? One body. The parts put together, thinking and acting like one body. This is what we're headed towards, church. And I'm telling you, he is so scared of this. Satan is so scared. He doesn't care if it's 5,000 or 50 people. I'll tell you what really scares him, two you get two or three who come together in the name of Jesus. What did Jesus say? I'm there. I'm there. So yes, what do we, we've got a few hundred seats set out in here and we're calling this place full and overflowing and that's wonderful. But I tell you, we don't start doing damage to the kingdom of darkness until we start acting and thinking like a body then, then we start getting things done. Amen. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we begin thinking? How do we begin acting like a body and more than just a room full of parts? Let me just read some things here that the Lord gave me and I wrote to you. 2023, this year is all about you finding where you fit. Listen to me again. This year, if you're coming to this church and you're a part of this body, then this year is all about you finding where you fit. If you're a Christian, then your life is not about finding your place in this world. Have you heard that expression before? People 
live and die looking, searching desperately, what's my place in this world? But if you're a Christian, your life's not about finding your place in this world. Your life is about finding your place in the body. What is my place in the body of Christ? And I want you to know that as your pastor, I am dedicating myself this year. I am dedicating myself to helping you find your place in the body of Christ. In the body and in this body. And as far as I'm concerned, and unless and until the Lord gives me some other direction, that is what my whole life is to be about this year as I stand in this office and place as pastor. It's about doing what I can to help. It's about Sarah and I and our staff and our team doing what we can to help you find your place in the body and your place in this body because you've got one and you're not a throwaway part. You have a place in this body. And you might think, well, okay, I get it. And that seems important. But is it so important that we've got to say this whole year is about that? Why, why is it really that important that we've got to devote this much time and attention to finding your place in the body? And here's the answer to that. You will never know what your grace is until you find where your place is. Your grace is waiting on you in that place. And the grace of God is what you do And you make it look easy. It's his grace on you and in you that helps you. And you do things with ease that others struggle with. What is that? Well, I'm just a talented person. I'm just a gifted person. No, that's grace. Grace is the enablings, the strengthenings of God. And when you are in your place, you'll find that the grace is there to help you do what you're called to do. So really, what I'm telling you is that my life in ministry as your pastor this year is about two things. Number one, it's about helping you find your place so that, number two, you find that grace. We want you functioning in the grace of God on your life because there's nothing in this life more frustrating than living day after day after day under your own strength, with your own might, without any of the grace and the help of God. Anybody want some grace? Find your place. Your grace is where your place is. So we're dedicating ourselves to that this year. Now, here's what you've got to identify As soon as you start talking this way, in helping people find their place and all of us, that includes myself. I want to know that I'm in my right place doing doing what I'm graced to do. But it begins even a step before that. And it begins with the uh, revelation, realization that there's a body. How do I say this, Lord? Most, much of the rest of this world does not live with any idea that there even is a body, much less that they have a place in it. And I'm sad to say that most of the church is living like that too. And if you were to ask them, they'd say, yeah, well, you know, the body of Christ, but not understanding that they have a place in it and that their grace is waiting on them to get into that place. Finding your place in the body begins with the revelation that there is a body to be part of. Back up one chapter to 1 Corinthians 11. This will get clearer as we go. Thank you, Lord. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. There are a few verses here in chapter 11 that deal with the Lord's Supper, taking what we call communion, taking the, the bread and the, the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus. And oftentimes we look here at 1 Corinthians 11 and we pull these verses out. They're verses 23 through 26. And when we receive communion, we, we look just at these verses and that's fine. But if you were to take, take not just these verses, but honestly, this whole book, both of these books, 1 and 2 Corinthians, when you take them as a whole, there's a lot of correction being given by the Spirit of God through Paul. And it's fine to take these verses out, but I'm gonna put them back. Anybody have kids? You ever go shopping with kids and they start pulling stuff off the shelves? Man, this has become a thing in our house. We get to the grocery store checkout line and there's a bunch of stuff going down that belt. I'm looking at Sarah, I'm thinking, you got that? She said, I thought you got that. We look over at the kids and they're both sort of giving us that, I didn't do it, look. If you got little kids, you're familiar with this phrase, put that back where you found it, right? Put that back where you found it. I think sometimes the Spirit of God would say the same things to us as we read scripture and we take it out. I think if you're listening closely enough, sometimes you'd hear him say, put that back where you found it and you'll understand more about it. So let's read some of these verses in 1 Corinthians 11. And you will get a sense of the correction that's being offered here. And there's some things that Paul was not pleased with. And in turn, you could say God himself's not pleased with. Back up into verse 17, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, He said, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Well, that doesn't sound good. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. He's talking about getting together for church. For first of all, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Now it does say in verse 19, there must also be factions among you for those who are approved may be recognized among you. But he says in verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own. Do you hear that? Each one takes his own. He said, when you come together for eating, each one of you is taking his own supper ahead of others and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Verse 22. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What, is, what shall I say to you? What do you want me to say to you? He says, shall I praise you in this? I don't praise you in this. Can you hear the tone he's talking with here? What's going on? This church, which was a relatively large church, a lot of members, bunch of body parts. But he says, I got some things to say to you and I'm not praising you. He said, when you guys are getting together, all the body parts are showing up in one place. He said, you were sitting down to eat. And it is not the Lord's Supper. Now, I suppose they were calling it the Lord's Supper, but he said, this is not the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you're doing, but it ain't the Lord's Supper. He said, some of you, when you are getting together, you got people who are feeding themselves 
eating what they brought and in the same room, maybe sitting at the same table, you got starving people. He literally said, you got some that are starving and some that are drunk. Y'all are coming together for church, but you're doing nothing but partying. You're doing nothing but feeding yourselves. Forgive me, but listen to what he's saying. You ain't doing nothing but getting fat and drunk while a bunch of other people, a bunch of other parts are sitting there starving. You want me to praise you in this? I don't praise you in this. Yikes. He's being serious with them. And it's in the middle of this that he reminds them what the Lord's Supper actually is. It's in this where he says in verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my, what is it? My body. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What Paul's saying, what he's saying here is, this is not what's going on. You're not doing this in remembrance of Jesus. Your mind and your heart's not on him as you eat and drink. That's why it says in verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for, who, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning, listen, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. Let me use another word here not understanding the Lord's body. He says, if you're eating and partaking in the so-called Lord's Supper, but if you're not understanding the Lord's body, he says, you are eating and drinking judgment to yourself. And he said, verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now that's wait in the sense of, you know, be patient. But it's also wait in the sense of what restaurant staff does with their wait staff. They attend to you. Wait for one another. In other words, you're not the only one eating. Hmm. He said, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I'll set in order when I come. Some pretty serious correction and instruction taking place here. But he said, the main thing is you're digging in, eating and drinking without understanding, without discerning the Lord's body. And what did he say the result was? There are many among you that are weak, that are sick, and even have fallen asleep, or we would say have died. Weak, 
sick, died. That's a progression. What begins as weakness, if it's allowed to grow, will turn into sickness. And if sickness stays around long enough and gets bad enough, it will produce death. This is serious stuff. And he said, what caused the weakness, the sickness, and the death? Not understanding the Lord's body. Now, I believe there's two ways we discern the body. This is where I really want you to pay attention. Two ways we discern the body of the Lord. One, we understand that when we receive communion, that the, be- the bread we're taking, the bread we're eating, is representative of the body of Jesus broken on our behalf. And one of the reasons people are weak and sick, Christian people are weak and sick and dying, is because they don't understand that the body of Jesus was beaten and broken and stripes were put on his back to purchase their healing. And if you don't discern that, if you don't understand that, you have no faith to fight against weakness. You have no faith to resist sickness. You have no faith. You've got no faith for the life of God to work in you and overcome death. So you're not discerning the body of the Lord correctly. So when you receive communion, don't do it out of habit. Don't do it out of tradition. Do it out of revelation. Amen. So when you sit down to that communion table and you take the bread, this is not just some habit you do. And I don't know why our group just does this. No, this is the body of the Lord Jesus broken on my behalf. He was broken. So I don't have to be. He took stripes upon his body that purchased my healing. You're discerning the Lord's body. But there's another application here. It's not just discerning his body in what took place in his redemptive work. It's discerning that he has a body and you're part of it. Can you see what Paul was really so upset about? He's like, you're not thinking like a body. You guys are getting together, he's saying, and everybody's just eating and drinking partying, getting drunk while somebody over here is starving. What's Paul saying? What's wrong with this picture? The problem is you're not discerning, he said, that you're a body. You're thinking about your own. Isn't that what he said? Each one of you has his own. Yeah, I brought my own supper. This is my food. This is my drink. And not thinking about anybody else. The problem, he said, is that you're not thinking like a body, not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding he has a body, not understanding that you're a part of it. You're thinking like a room full of body parts. And what's the result? Weakness, sickness, and death. These things come as the result of not understanding we're part of a body. Think about it. This hand, this arm, you can work this thing out. You can exercise it. You can do everything you want to grow it, make it big, make it beautiful, make it strong. But what happens the moment this this part, this arm, this hand is disconnected from the body? Is it still strong? Does it still have a bunch of ability? No, it has none. And I don't care how much you've worked it out in the past. The moment it's disconnected from the body, it's weak. And it's already on its way to death. 
Jesus painted this picture. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And the branch can't bear fruit of itself. I don't care how big and beautiful that branch is. I don't care how far out it stretches. I don't care how many beautiful, luscious fruit it has hanging ripe all, all the way down that limb. The moment you put this much distance between the branch and the vine, it has no strength. It has no life. And it's already dying. Why? Because it's disconnected. This is what's going on in, in this passage. He said, you're not discerning. You're not understanding. You're more than a room full of parts. You're more than a, just a room full of body parts. You are a body. And you're nothing if you're not connected. You're here in 1 Corinthians. Go back to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The first the first step in finding your place in the body begins with the revelation that there is a body to be a part of. And you can see here, we've read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 11. Now we're looking at 1 Corinthians 6 and he's still addressing this same stuff. This was a big problem in this church. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 15, just listen to these words. Paul writing and said, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Is it just me or can anybody else see? He's having to hammer this home. Do you not know this? What does he ask him? Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? That same word members here in, in chapter six is the word members in chapter 12, talking about these parts. He said, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? And I, I, I think you could assume he's writing to correct these people because number one, e either number one, they don't know it or number two, they're living like they don't know it. And whether you don't know it or you're just living like you don't, it's producing the same result. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Listen to it from the New Living Translation. He says, don't you realize that your body is uh, well, let me back up. Sorry, Amplified Bible, Amplified Classic. Do you not see and know that your bodies are members, look at this, bodily parts of Christ? Don't you understand that? He's saying, don't you get it? And if he would have asked me this six months ago, I would have said, no, of course, I know that, body of Christ, I'm a part of that. But what I'm telling you, church, is it needs to hit us in a new way in a fresh way. Don't you know that your bodies are members, bodily parts of Christ? God's word translation says it like this. Don't you realize that your bodies are parts of Christ's body? I don't know if we realize it. And if we do, I don't know if we know it enough. And I certainly don't know if we're living like we know it, that we're part of a body. He goes on in these verses, verse 15 again, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. There may have been some of this going on in this church. He said, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. 
but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what should you be doing? Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. What does the word flee mean? Run away. Now this is not instruction that you and I get from the Spirit of God very much. The Spirit of God is famous for saying things like, you're more than a conqueror. The Spirit of God is famous for saying things like, you can do all things through Him who strengthens you. More than a conqueror through Him who loves you. You see these kinds of professions and confessions all the way through that talk about what you can do, what you have, how you can conquer. Until he gets to sexual immorality. And you want to know what he says? Not you're more than a conqueror. Not you can do all things. You know what he says? Run away. That sounds different, doesn't it? Run away. Flee sexual immorality. He says every sin that a man does is outside the body, but the one who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And we've always heard, you know, well, sin is sin. Doesn't matter what it is. Little white lie or murder, sin is sin. It's all the same to God. Well, evidently not. He makes a distinction here. And he says there are sins, and he said just about every sin is a sin outside the body. But he said sexual sin is a sin against your own body. Well, wait a second. This body is a part of his body. So to sin in this way is to actually use Jesus' body for sin? Verse 19, or do you not know? Okay, I know you know this. Are you living like you know this? Do you live like you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Listen to these words. And you are not your own. This is thinking like a body. You're not your own. Remember when I told you a moment ago that much of the rest of the world doesn't even realize there's a body to be a part of? The pervasive way of thinking outside the church and sad to say it a lot inside the church is that this is my body. I can do with it whatever I want. He said, do you not know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. This translation says it like this. Don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. The Amplified Bible says you are not your own property. Let's just try saying that out loud and see how it feels. Say it like this, I am not my own. I'm not my own property. I don't belong to myself. Why? Well, he tells you why. He says you were bought with a price. 
So honor God with your body and in your spirit, which are his. You were bought with a price. Again, the Amplified says you're not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. Now, this is not a normal way of thinking. It's not. But the truth is, if you're a believer, you were bought with a price. Now, this is great news, church, because the price that was paid for you is what determines your value. Come on, I don't know if you're listening to me. The price that was paid for you is what has determined your value. When you go into a store and somebody's selling something, there might be a thousand people that walk through that store and look at that thing and think, man, that price is high. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Who would ever pay that much for this thing? That's not worth it. But the moment you come in there and you look at it, you find value in it so much so that you're willing to pay the price for it. It doesn't matter what anybody else ever said about it. The moment you pay a price, that thing becomes worth that much. Why? Because a price was paid. That's how value is assigned to it. And when there's a price paid for it, then nobody else who didn't pay for it gets to decide what it's worth. You decide what it's worth. Why? You paid for it. And you can put that thing on display in your house. You can put it up on the mantle, whatever it is, and you find beauty in it. You find value in it. And somebody comes into your house and says, what in the world is that? Please tell me you didn't pay very much for that. Oh no, actually I paid. What? You paid what for that? It's not worth it. Hold on, hold on. You don't get to decide. That person in your house, they don't get to decide what it's worth. Why? Come on, church, why? They didn't pay for it. You decide what it's worth. Why? You paid for it. The price paid determines the value. What did we just read in this verse? 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price. Which means you don't get to determine your own value. Which means other people in your life don't get to determine your value. People don't get to look at you and say, you're too much this and not enough that. People don't get to look at you and say, you're not worth it. And you don't even get to come before God and say, oh, I'm so unworth E. What are you telling him? I'm not worth it. I know it sounds humble, but really it's just stupid. Really, it's just ignorant. Really, it's just not discerning the body of the Lord Jesus. Really, it's no faith. You don't get to come before him and say, I'm unworthy. Why? You didn't buy you. You didn't pay for you. You didn't shed blood. You didn't give your only begotten son. He did. He bought you. He paid for you. And the moment he paid for you, that's what you became worth. Glory to God. If to nobody else in the universe, but him and who else matters, nobody else paid for you. They don't determine your value. He paid for you. He determines your value. And if he said you're worth it, guess what? Worth it. Somebody raise a hand and say, worth it. Worth it. Yeah, you are. Not because of something you did. Not because of some way you acted or performed. 
but because of what he said and the price he was willing to pay. And besides that, who among us doesn't love a good restoration story? We, there, there's whole television networks that are dedicated to this. You love watching fixer uppers, don't you? When somebody finds something that, that everybody else walks by and calls trash. But here comes somebody that sees something else in it, that sees some beauty in it, that sees some potential in it, and they're willing to pay a price for it, and they're willing to spend some time cleaning it up willing to spend some time making it beautiful again, willing to spend some time with it, restoring it to its original glory. Who doesn't like a good restoration story? Huh? You love that. We all love before and after pictures, don't we? Guess what you are? You are a restoration story. God himself saw you, saw me. Yes, in the fallen, broken, dirty nasty condition we were in. And he said, I see it. I see the potential. I see the ability. And I was there when you were originally made. And I'm willing to pay the price and restore you to your former glory. Hallelujah. Restore us to the condition we were in before sin entered, before death entered. And we were pretty. We were good looking. Amen. We are the restoration story. Thank you, Lord. But listen, there's a flip side to that. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But the result is he paid for you. So what's that mean? He owns you. And you are not your own. You are not your own property. You don't belong to yourself. He bought you, he paid for you, and he made you a part of his body. This body you have, this body is actually a member of his body. And it's not your own. Is this not so diametrically opposed to what the world is preaching? Probably more, harder, and heavier right now than ever before. This is my body. I can do whatever I want to with it. My body. I can love who I want to with it. I can do what I want to with it. But for you, now I'm talking to Christian people. The world thinks this way because they're godless people and, and you know, I don't judge them for it. They know. They have no God. You're different. You have a God and your God bought you. Your God paid for you. God, your God owns you. And for you and I to act like this is my body, my property, I'll do with it what I want to do. That's like, that's like your left foot saying, I'm out of here. That's like your left foot. You decide you're not going out tonight. This decision comes from the head of the body. I'm staying home. And your left foot says, you didn't ask me. I want to go out tonight. As a matter of fact, I am going out tonight. For you to think that this body is your own, it's literally like one of your parts. 
saying to the head and to the rest of this body, I'm done with you. I don't want to be a part of this body. That's like your left foot saying, I'm tired of being married to that right foot. I have had to spend my whole life with that right foot. And that right foot always thinks it's right. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. You know what? I like left feet. I'm going to go find me another left foot. You can't tell me who I can love, who I can't love. I like feet that look like me. I like other left feet. I'm going to go love me a left foot. Hmm? My toes, my choice. For you and I as believers, to live and think and act like this body is yours to do with what you want is like one of your parts deciding it's no longer part of the body and it's going to go do what it wants to do. But what happens, help me, if you don't discern and understand that you're a part of the body, Let's say that left foot is somehow able, somehow manages to disconnect, unhook, and is no longer part of the body. You wanted to stay home. It wanted to go out. Okay, now it's over there. Go out. Can't. It might be a perfectly good foot until it disconnects. Now what is it? Weak no ability, no strength, sick and dying. Why? Because it's disconnected. And if the world wants to scream and holler and preach, my body, my choice, let them. When it comes to me and you, his body, his choice. What I do with this body is not all up to me. I don't, I don't get to just take this thing anywhere it goes. I don't get to just do anything it wants to do. This body is a part of his body. Amen? Thank you, Lord. This is a different mentality. This is called having a body mentality. And church... I hope we grow. I truly do. I believe the Lord would add many, many members to us. I think it'd be wonderful. I think it'd be wonderful if there was 1,500 of us and we were doing five services on a Sunday morning. Fine. Lord, you want that? So be it. But who cares if all we are is a room full of parts that think like parts and are consumed with their part? We must discern the Lord's body which means, yes, we need to understand communion and the receiving of the bread as representation of the broken body and the, the wine as representation of the spilled blood of Jesus and the new covenant. Yes, we need to know and discern and understand that. But in addition to it, we've got to know and discern and understand he has a body. I'm a part of it. And I'm not my own. Say it again out loud. I'm not my own. I am not my own. I'm not my own. Musicians, you guys come. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? I'll read you one last verse, and this will take us, I believe, into the next time we deal with this. 
And it's right back where we started in 1 Corinthians 12. The verses that lead up to where we began are all about the gifts and the ministry of the Spirit. The gifts and graces working in the body. And he says in verse 4, there's diversities of gifts. Does that sound like many members? Same thing. There's a lot of different gifts, but the same Spirit. These, were, these, these gifts, these graces, there's a bunch of them, but they didn't come from a bunch of different places. They came from one Spirit. He said, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You have a grace. And when you find your place and you get in that place, guess what else you're going to find? That grace. And that grace is going to start working in you. And you're going to find that the Spirit of God would speak to you and speak through you. And, and these manifestations of these gift and graces are going to begin to come out of you. That gift of exhortation and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and faith and miracles and healings. Yes, those things, those graces can work in you when you're in your place. But you have to understand this. And that's what he said, that it's for the profit of you. It's for the profit of that part, right? No. It's for the profit of the body. The word of wisdom coming out of one part isn't for the glorification and the betterment of that part. It's for the profit of the whole body. This is where we got to begin changing the way we think. From a part mentality to a body mentality. I am not my own. His body, his choice. Lord, it's your body. Put me where you want me. I'm not taking this body somewhere else across the country for a better paying job. I'm not taking this body somewhere else and doing something with it that doesn't glorify and honor you. I'll go where you send me. I'll do with this body what you want done with this body. This is your body. I'm not my own. I'm not my own property. I belong to you. You purchased me. You bought me. You paid for me. I'm yours. Do with this body what you want to do with it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.